we have been uh, doing a series through the, the letter that Paul wrote to the church uh, full of uh, these people called Colossians that were in the city of Colossae. And uh, the church is about four years old, which is pertinent for us because we as a church are about four years old. And uh, it's, a, it's a letter to remind them of essential things, to bring their attention back to Jesus, to make sure that they don't get off track and, and uh, start to, to bring in other teachings from other sources and other places and other people that are trying to add to what God is already doing there. And Paul wants to make sure that they don't get distracted from Jesus and His purposes and His glory and what He's up to among them and how they can begin to experience freedom and transformation through Him. And so uh, we've been tracking uh, with this letter. We're about halfway through now. We're going to start in chapter 3 today and look at the first 10 verses. And if you want to follow along with us, we're going to be on page 822 in the Bibles that we've got uh, with the seats. But if you remember last week, we, we said that one of the things that happens to us when we come to receive Jesus is that we get free. Uh, and particularly, we get free from all the entrapments that we think we need to use to define ourselves and kind of gain a, a approval or acceptance either before God or before other people. And we looked at three primary things that we often want to look to what we do to define who we are. So we, we participate in things thinking that it will build up our resume so that God will love us or that other people will accept us. And Paul's saying, no, you're free from that because you're defined by what Jesus did for you, not what you do for you. And also, we're, we're, we're freed up from the, the need to define ourselves by what we know. And so often we want to build up our knowledge base or our experiences because we think that those things will make us a better person or make us into the people that we intend ourselves to be. And Paul's going, no, it's what Jesus knows. He knew that you needed Him. And because He knew you needed Him, He came and, and gave you Himself so that you could experience Him. So you need nothing else other than Him to experience God. And then finally, we often want to use rules and, and things to say, here's what I don't do, and because I don't participate in these things, that equals who I am. And Paul says, no, it's, it's actually what Jesus didn't do. He was the one who never rebelled against God. He was the one who always did what was good, right, and perfect. And God accepted His life on your behalf. Therefore, you don't need to just follow rules in order to gain God's acceptance anymore. You're free in Jesus. And, uh, and so it, we, we concentrated on that freedom aspect. And uh, I'm thankful for you know, just the feedback that some of you gave me about how that was really good news to you. Because oftentimes we want to strive to do our best or we want to keep ourselves away from things. And we think that it's all defining us as a person, that we need to you know, construct a good resume, as it were, before God for Him to approve us. And when you realize that the resume's already been written for you, you go, man, that sounds like really good news. I can actually rest. I can actually experience joy and freedom in Him rather than having to work about this thing called life myself. But today... It, it, Paul kind of turns a corner a little bit and says, essentially, now because you're free, you get to live this new free life. And he wants to explain and train the church in how to do that well. Um, because oftentimes, we will revert back to our old lives. We will continue to live out as if we're not new creations and, and fall into old patterns of thinking and old ways of being and old ways of doing not realizing that we've been freed to experience something else. And Paul's going, no, 
this is the new life that you've been freed to experience. I want you to know how to live it. I want you to know how to do that. So we're going to start in um, verse 1 of Colossians 3. He says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Since you've, you've been raised with Him. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he's going to go on to give some examples of things that we can start to put to death because of Jesus. But I want to pause right there and just focus on this for a second. Because we need to understand that before we came to know Jesus, our life didn't amount to much. And oftentimes we want to give ourselves a whole lot more credit for our lives than we, than we actually deserve. We want to claim to our experiences and hold to what we know and hold to what we've done and what we haven't done, all the things that we talked about last week. And Paul wants to make sure we understand that to, to claim those things, to hold on to those things is to basically to glorify yourself and to say, I was something when really you were in a grave. I mean, nobody walks around a grave and goes, man, since that person died, they've been a really great person. You know? Like nobody walks around and goes, look at all the stuff that they've done while they're in the ground. No, you don't do that because there's no activity, right? You talk about when that person was alive, what they accomplished maybe, or who they were, but not who they are since they've died. And Paul's going, no, you don't realize that when, before you knew Christ, you were dead. And, and your life was dead because it was about you and it was lived by your power for your purposes under your strength, by your abilities. And he's saying, let's be honest, all that really produced for you was nothing apart from Christ. So Him plus nothing is everything. Him without, like without Him, we have nothing. And, and not only that, but since you've been raised, since you are now new, why would we then live as though we're still dead? In other words... He wants to make sure that we understand we are, are actually freed up to live a fully alive life. That the life that Jesus victoriously secured for us when He rose again on Easter Sunday is now available to us. It's kind of like this. Um, if you were, let's say, just imagine for a second that you were born completely paralyzed from the neck down. You needed somebody to take care of you every moment of every day, all the time, 24-7. You just have no ability to move yourself around. And then all of a sudden, you get news that someone is going to die and give you their body. And through the miracle of modern technology and science and medicine, you're going to get to exchange bodies with that person. That person is one of the strongest, healthiest people who's ever lived. And you realize they're going to just... Because they love you, even though you've never met them before, they're going to give their body up just for you. They're going to take your body. You're going to take their body. So you go in and you have this surgery and then you wake up out of surgery and you realize now that you have feeling in your hands and your feet. You can actually move your extremities. You can get yourself up out of bed. You can move around and actually play sports and run and, and, 
do all these things that you've been dreaming about doing for like 20, 30 years, you realize now they're all possible. And yet, you go, I think I'm going to go lay in bed again. That's pretty crazy, right? That we would do that. Paul wants us to understand that for us to not live the life that Jesus secured for us is probably that even worse. We've been given the new ability to live out a new life. So live it. And here's the thing. It's a choice for us. We get to choose to live out that new life or to not live it out if we're in Christ. If we're not yet in Christ, and maybe that's you this morning, really you don't have the ability to do this. And so the first step for you would be actually coming to know this person, getting an exchange of your body through his death and resurrection, coming to him and, and, and saying, I don't have anything to offer. Jesus, come into my life and make me new. But for those of us that have done that, then we have the choice of whether or not we want to live out of our new abilities, this new creation, or whether or not we're kind of just you know, at ease with the old life. Wanting to live out the old ways. I want you to understand it's God's great desire for you to actually want to put your old life to death so that you could actually live and experience the new life that He purchased for you at great cost. And please realize this, it cost Him everything. See, grace is free, but it's not cheap. Right? Did you ever hear that? It's free to you, but it cost Him dearly. It cost Him everything. It cost Jesus His life. And yet we treat it as sometimes it was cheap instead of expensive. It came at great cost. And the reason it had to come at great cost is because there was great need. And the reason that we had great need is because we don't have the ability to change ourselves apart from Jesus. And so my hope for you today is that as we talk about this is that you would say, really in your hearts, is a prayer to God, Jesus, help me. Help me not just to improve a little bit, but help me to kill off my old self. Because I realize that apart from you, I have absolutely nothing to offer you. There was nothing good in me. I was dead, and you made me alive, and now I want to experience the life that you purchased for me. See, here's the truth that I've come to know over the time that I've been a believer, which I realized this morning has been 14 years to the day. It was actually March 1st, 2001, that I gave my life over to him. And s- Thank you. It's an exciting day for me. But here's what I've come to realize over the last 14 years. You will never experience the life that God purchased for you if all you want for yourself is marginal improvement. I'm going to say that again because I think it's really important. You will never experience the life that God purchased for you at great cost if you are satisfied with marginal improvement. Because essentially what you're saying back to God is, I had something to offer and I just need a little bit of improvement. A little bit more. Or you're saying, all you're capable of is improving me a little bit instead of changing me from the inside out. See, we were dead and God made us alive. If God can do that, do you think He also has the ability to actually change us day to day, moment to moment? See, the two are linked. 
If you don't believe that he can actually change you today, how in the world do you think he's going to resurrect you on the last day? And yet we often do that, right? We often come to him and think of Christianity as Jesus saving us for our afterlife, and yet our moment-to-moment life, he has no part of and nothing to do with. What a tragedy that is. And the reason it's a tragedy is because Jesus is there moment by moment going, I have given you the ability to experience something that you think is not even possible. See, we've been given the ability to put our old self to death. And it's not about us changing us. It's about Jesus changing us by his power. So let me ask this, because we often dialogue during our messages. We're actually going to do a lot of dialogue as we sort of move more to training and less preaching in a second, which some of you are like, yay. Others are like, Training, that sounds like work. It is, but, but it's good work. So let me ask this. Um, what is it that Paul says, even in the first uh, little paragraph that he gives, is the key to putting our old selves to death? What is the key to actually experiencing daily the new life that Jesus has given us? What's that? Somebody said dying. Okay. Yeah. So, which is essentially a giving up on, on ourselves, right? What else? Penitence. What is that? I didn't see that word in my translation. <laughs> Just so we're clear, though, pe- what penance is is a is, is a. a it's almost, well, it's not like dying to ourselves. It's really more like beating ourselves up. Um, so the, the more that we beat ourselves up, the more we'll be free from the chains of this life, which is actually not what Jesus says. We're going to talk about that more in a second. But what does he say is the key to actually being able to put our old selves to death? Yeah. Set your mind on things that are above. Set your heart on Jesus. Set your hearts and your minds on Him in order to actually put your old self to death. See, there's a a false thinking when it comes to transformation uh, that really is not biblical at all. And it falls into one or two categories. This is how it kind of works. The thinking goes one of two ways, and you'll know which one you've experienced, I think, right away. There's a line of thinking that says, in order to transform and improve and see God change us, we need to think about how good we are. Here's what I mean. We need to think about how we, within ourselves, in our heart of hearts, in our own abilities, have the strength that we don't think that we have. We, we are better than we really are, so we just need to work really hard in order to improve. So the line of thinking says this, you're better than you think you are, therefore, improve, get better, work at it, strive at it, put your nose to the grinding wheel. Because if you do that long enough and hard enough, you will see transformation. You'll become more like Jesus. And that's actually false thinking. Yeah, so those of you who have been around for long enough in the Christian life know I've, I tried that for like 30 years and I didn't see very much going on, you know? And so I need to, I need to find another way. Here's the flip side of that because this is the other line of thinking that's often given to us. If you just think about how bad you are, 
So don't think about how good you are. Think about how bad you are. And that will lead to you being transformed. And some of you, I know because of your background in, in, in the church or what you've been taught or what your family's taught you or what you think yourself, think that the, the key to putting yourself to death is by thinking about how bad you really are. Which all that is is mental be- mentally beating yourself up over time because you think if I just push myself down and beat myself up and think about how bad I am, then God will raise me up. And that's actually not the way that it works. And some of you have been living under the trap of that lie for year after year after year. And I want you to experience this from God as maybe some freedom that you've never experienced before. That is a lie. That is a complete and utter lie. See, the the fact is, you'll never undergo transformation solely by focusing on yourself because you're the heart of the problem. So you can't get transformation just by thinking about yourself and how bad you are because you'll just enslave yourself into a cycle where you just beat yourself up and you never actually experience transformation. You'll just feel worse about yourself, which you think is maturity, but it's actually not maturity in Christ. It's actually not. Jesus wants to free you from that. And so the only way that you can put to death your old self is actually by setting your heart and your mind on someone other than yourself. You need to set it on Jesus and what's true of Him and through Him what's true of you. And if you learn how to do that, I will say, you will experience transformation. So let me ask this. Why do you think that setting your heart and your mind on Christ is actually the key? Why do you think that might work? Because here's the thing. I, I'm convinced that there are many of you out there that are going, that are, are kind of skeptical when I say that and go, that sounds like real pie-in-the-sky type stuff. Like, just think about Jesus. Are you kidding me? How is that supposed to work? Am I just supposed to, like, when I'm tempted or when I struggle or when I fall, just go, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Do I just quote Bible verses to myself until I'm blue in the face and that will change me? Yeah, so there's an understanding that we're, we're always focusing on something. It's not like the options are focus on Jesus or don't focus on anything. Our hearts and our minds are always focused on something. We are always beholding something. And you, by virtue of the way that works, you are becoming what you behold at every moment. So look at what you're beholding, right? Look at what's taking up the contents of your mind and what's taking up the passions and the convictions of your heart. And that will tell you what you most love and more often than not, that is what you're becoming. Twyla, I think you were going to say something. So the question then is for us, do we have the, the tools, as it were, the ability or the muscle to be able to appropriate what's true of God and who He is actually down into our lives so that it changes us moment by moment. See, I'm I'm convinced that it's not that we don't believe that God is those things and that, that through Jesus we have the power to change, but there's a disconnection between who He is and what He's done and who we are and what we do. We just see Him like two, like a Venn diagram that never meets in the center, you know? Like our lives are over here, Jesus' life is over here, and then when I die, the two will converge. But until then, I'm really up, it's up to me. So we need to really be able to see how those two things come together for us to change moment by moment, day by day in our everyday life by the power of God through His Spirit in us. 
And, and I just, I just want to say this up front. Um, my experience in the church has been that the church is woefully untrained in how to do that. They just have, we have no category and no ability to think that way because we've never been trained that way. And so no wonder we have difficulty seeing where the two things converge. Nobody's ever actually taught us how to do that in our everyday life. So we, we live this disconnected, compartmentalized life. And I, I, I really think, this is a deep conviction of mine, that, that God wants that to change within His church. He wants to see that, that dissection of who He is and who we are completely shattered so that we would see our life as an integrated whole, so that our beliefs in who God is and what He's done would actually change us, and that we would know how to do that even when our lives are getting off the rails. So how do you do that? Is the question. Because each of us need to grow in our ability to set our minds and our hearts on Jesus, and we need to do it for a couple reasons. One, we need to do it because God wants us to experience change. Two, we want to be able to do that because God wants to use us to see others changed. And so it's, it's really not just about learning the skill for our own lives so that we would be transformed. God wants to use you in the lives of other people to be His instrument, to be able to see how those things connect even for other people so that you can help them towards transformation in Him. So do you know how to do that? Is the question. And how are you going to grow up in that? Um, Paul, what he's going to do is he's going to go on to give some examples of types of behaviors that, that we actually can see transformation in by setting our minds and our hearts on Jesus. And so if any of these sound like you, you're in good company. Um, and, it's, and I just wanted to just caveat that with, with this. My job as a pastor really is to train you and to equip you to be able to do this every day. It's one of, one of the reasons that we gather together is for us together to set our minds and hearts on Jesus. And we do that through singing, and we do that through teaching, we do that through fellowship, we do that through communion, all kinds of different ways. But God doesn't want you to leave that setting your heart and your mind on Him when you leave here. He wants you to actually get trained up so that you can continue to do that. So that's, that's kind of my job, is to train you up so that you'd be able to do that well. So actually what I want to spend the rest of our time doing is to train you a little bit in how to do that. Does that sound okay? Right. Most of you are nodding. If you're not, that's okay too. Yep. Good analogy. Yep. That's that whole beholding to become, right? The more we behold Him, the more He impresses Himself on our lives. Yep. So let, let's look at maybe a couple examples where God can start to do that. And at first, the, the list is going to sound kind of negative. Um, because Paul wants us to know that these are some of the patterns and things that all of us have struggled with, and, uh, and God actually does give the power to see us experience freedom in them. Um, so let's read what he says. He says in verse 5, "...put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry." Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. And so some of you might go, that's the big list, right? Of course, God, you know, God you know, is pouring out His wrath on those things. Those, 
Those, of course, are the things that we should rid ourselves of because those are the bad things. Well, he goes on. Not just that list. In verse 8, he says, but now you must also rid yourself of all, uh, all things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. And so if you've experienced any of those things, it's, it's actually God's grace to you this morning showing that you, you that you need to put off your old self, that you need Him, and all of us do. So he says this, since then, you, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. There's that beholding thing again. So Paul says there's a, a list of things that we struggle with and, and our behaviors aren't just our behaviors. They're actually a product of our old self. They're a product of our identity. And remember who we were before we became you know, we came to Christ, we were dead. And the reason that we were dead is because we were were self-absorbed, as it were, and removed ourselves from the giver of life. So our lives, apart from the giver of life, were, were not focused on Him, not getting our identity from Him, not seeking Him, but they were really seeking ourselves and building an identity on ourselves and, and really up to ourselves and by our own strength. And so Paul goes on and he gives... I think four examples, at least within here, of, of the types of behaviors that belong to our old selves when we were self-absorbed, but we now have the ability to see transformed in Jesus. And so he, he, he talks about first sexual sins, which is basically using your body for self, selfish purposes, and then greed, which is using your money for selfish purposes, and then hatred of other people, which is using people for selfish purposes. And then lying, which is kind of using your words for selfish purposes. Do you see a pattern going on here? Bit of a pattern, right? Um, so how do you actually set your heart and your mind on things above so that it helps you put to death these patterns of self-centeredness? Well, I'm going to use another analogy. And it's an analogy that we've used before of a tree. And Jesus said that um, no good tree bears bad fruit, and no bad tree bears good fruit. You know a tree by its fruit. So if you want to know the kinds of things that are going on in a tree, you look at the fruit, and the fruit gives you an indication of the rest of the health of the tree. The reason that this analogy works is because um, there are things, and Paul, so Paul highlights basically uh, what's going on in the lives of the people there. So he says, um, some of you are experiencing lust as a fruit. Some of you are experiencing greed as a fruit. Some of you are experiencing hatred of other people as a fruit. And some of you are lying. And these are all fruits that is beginning to appear on your tree. So the question then is, how do you deal with the fruit and replace it with better fruit? See, and here's the thing, oftentimes in our Christian life we go, I know that I shouldn't be lying because I'm a Christian. I should be living better than that. I should actually be telling people the truth and being honest about who I am and what's going on on the inside. So we think, I'm going to stop lying and I'm going to start telling the truth. So help me God. 
But the problem is you didn't actually inspect what was going on with the rest of the tree. Right? Because the, it's, it's not just the fruit is just appearing out of nowhere. It's the product of something that's happening down here. And so Paul says, if you want different fruit on your tree, you need to inspect the whole tree. So it's not just about what you're doing. It's about who you are. Who am I? And it's not just about who you are, which is your identity, but it's, a, it's related to who you believe God is and what He's done. So what has God done? And then who has God in the end, what we want to try to get to is to, to look at the roots of our tree and go, are we sinking our roots? Are we setting our hearts and minds on Jesus as the source or are we setting them on something else? So let's take each one. I'm going to ask for your participation here. We're going to dive in head first into the one that nobody wants to talk about. Okay, So let's just go there first. And we'll do as many of these as we have time for. And I don't, we'll see how much time we have. So lust, what is happening in our hearts when we're actually lusting after something? When there's a physical temptation uh, or sexual uh, temptation going on in our hearts? You could speak generally instead of your own experience. But... And it's not just physical. Let me say that. Good. So... Um, so who am I? I am unsatisfied or unfull, unfilled. Why is it that, that might, we might think that that could actually fill us? You have some kind of need that's being unfulfilled, and the only way that you're going to fill that appetite in you is through sexual gratification. That's really what's going on. And particularly with like the pornography industry, it's not just about the physicality of what you know, is going on within the industry, but the, it's, it's what it's saying to you at the moment, which is um, this person longs not just for you. So if you feel unfulfilled, if you feel lonely, if you feel isolated, if you feel ungratified, then this person is, is directly, specifically just for you and will fill that void for you in the moment. So what do you think that's saying about God? What do you think that's actually saying in our hearts that we're actually believing about Him? <laughs> that He's not enough. Or even worse, that He created you with certain desires that He has no plan on fulfilling. That's worse, right? He has created your body in such a way that you have appetites you have no control over and He does not plan on fulfilling those needs. So what are you really saying about God? He doesn't care about you. He's not good. He doesn't want you to be satisfied. He doesn't want you to be filled. He doesn't want you to have joy. And so because He doesn't want those things for you, you must run to another source. You see how it works? So you're, you're, you're getting your, your source of life from some other root system other than Jesus. Because here's the thing. In order to conquer this fruit and see it replaced with something else, you have to know, actually, I am unsatisfied. I was created with some kind of needs, with, with physically and spiritually and emotionally. But what do you have to say about God in order to meet that need? What needs to change in terms of your understanding of who God is? What's true of Him? 
He will satisfy us, right? Not He hasn't abandoned us. He's actually good. And what it means for Him to be good is that He wants the best for us, right? What else? Okay. And He meets our needs. What else is true about Him? Okay. Yeah, so He's, uh, he's present. He hasn't abandoned us. Yeah, exactly. That's what I, yeah, that's exactly what we're trying to, trying to demonstrate, right? We're, we're believing something about a false God when we're saying, I'm unsatisfied and unfulfilled, therefore God can't be the source of filling and goodness in my life. Something else has to fulfill that because in our minds and in our hearts, we're actually put, setting our minds on a different God that doesn't actually exist. See how that's working? So that's why we need to actually fill our minds with the true God so that we would actually experience what He is and replace Him with whatever it is that we're, we're running to as the source of our satisfaction. Yeah, exactly. And oftentimes what's missing in this category of, of lust in terms of who God is is that we think that God is now disappointed with us if we participate in it. That somehow, and this is oftentimes where we need, feel like we need to work back into God's good graces because we think, wow, He is going to shame me for experiencing this. So, so we need to experience God differently in order to lead us to freedom, right? So let me ask this. Is it enough just to say, like to, to rehearse in your minds who God is at the moment you're tempted here? Is it enough for you just to go, yeah, well, God is good, therefore I don't need to participate in this. Or God is present with me, therefore I don't need to do that. Is that enough? Here's the thing, though. Um, you, can tell all your, you can tell yourself all of this stuff about God and, and what He's like and who He is, and you still don't have to be a Christian. Here's what I mean by that. If you knew nothing about who Jesus was, you could still tell all yourself all this stuff about God, trying to convince yourself that it will lead you to a different pattern of your life, and never actually talk about Jesus. And I think oftentimes what we do when we're, think, when we're doing this process, even if we haven't been trained on it, is that we just tell ourselves, well, because God is good, He will satisfy me, therefore I won't experience lust. And we skip right over the primary evidence that God is good. You see why I'm saying that? We need to know what God has done if we're going to be satisfied and filled and experience freedom in the area of lust. So what has God done? How do we know that God is present? How do we know? There's Holy Spirit. Jesus died, He rose again, and then He poured out His Spirit on you so that if you're in Christ... You actually have Him walking around with you every single place that you go. We often pray like, God, would You be present with me? He is! He's present with you! So we know that He's present because of the Spirit. Good. What else? How do we know that God is good? How do we know that He's not withholding His best from you? He sent the most precious thing He had for you. And it cost Him everything. He sent His one and only Son in your place to die for you. And and Romans 8 says, if God did not withhold Him, if He didn't withhold Jesus from you, do you think He's going to withhold any other good thing from you? No, He sent Jesus. That's how we know that God is good. 
What about gracious? How do we know God's gracious? See, this is setting our minds and hearts on things above. How do we know that He's gracious? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet caught up in this, while we were enslaved to it, while we were visiting websites that we should not do, or seeing people that we should not meet, He in Christ was forgiving us of those things and pouring His grace out so that you could be cleansed and whole and forgiven forever. I mean, think about that the next time you have the temptation in this area and are about to click on the website. He died knowing that you were about to do that and He still is forgiving you in advance for what you're about to do. You go, well, if I thought about that, I wouldn't do it. That's the point! (laughs) Because in that moment, you'd compare the satisfaction of what you're about to receive through the screen and the satisfaction of knowing the grace of God in Christ that covers you for about what you're about to even do, and you go, there is no comparison. He's so much better. He's so much greater. He is good. And He wants me to be filled with His presence so that I would not just get a moment of gratification, but a lifetime of gratification in Him. And we go, that doesn't compare anymore. You see how that just replaced this? He meets our needs. He's gracious. He's good. He's present with us. How do we know? Because of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how you set your minds and your hearts on Jesus. You replace who you are. So so then who are you now? As a result of the Gospel. You're not unsatisfied. You're not unfulfilled. You're chosen by Him. You're beloved. You are forgiven. You are whole. And on and on and on and on and on. Set your minds and your hearts on things above where you are now hidden with Him in the heavenly areas. That is now who you are. And if that's now who you are, this is no big deal anymore. And even if it does become something in your life again and again and again, you go back to the well and you go back to the same resources and you go, you know what? Even if I do experience this again, I'm still forgiven. I'm still beloved. I'm still chosen. I'm still whole. Therefore, this will not define me anymore. I'd love to go into the rest of them with you, but I don't know if we have time. You see how this works, though? Um, For myself, I'll just say, one one of the main issues that I had before I came to Christ uh, was in the area of lying. Um... I lied constantly as a kid growing up. I lied uh, to get what I wanted. I lied so that people would think that I was better than I really was. I was an embellisher. Like if you had a story about your, like your exploits and what you did in life, I would tell a story, but I would ratchet up what actually happened so that you'd think my story was better than yours. And you go, wow, that was a great story. Yeah, I know. <laughs> The reason that I was doing, and this was something that I experienced even after I came to know Jesus, because I came to know Him, I got resurrected with Jesus, but I was still experiencing this bad fruit of lying and wanting to embellish uh, the things that were happening in my life, wanting people to think that I was better than I really was. And I remember the first time I went through this process to actually understand why I was doing that. And so, who was, who was I saying to God that I was. I was saying I was on my own. And I need to 
to give myself a reputation because you give me no reputation. And the reason I give my, need to give myself a reputation is because I feel like you've abandoned me and you haven't given me one. Or that you, the reputation that you give me is not better than the one that I can give myself. So what am I saying about you? You don't mean anything to me, God. What you say about me doesn't actually matter. I need what other people say about me to matter because their opinion matters of me more than yours does. Let me tell you, we often think of confession as being confessing our actions. Confession is confessing how you're disbelieving God in the moment. Confession isn't just, God, I'm sorry that I've been lying. Confession is, I'm sorry I've been lying because I've believed a lie about who you are. That's real confession. And you know you've experienced real confession because in the moment you confess it to God, you go, I didn't even realize that was in my heart. And then you go, but that's not who you are. And you start to replace the false God with a real God, and that's actually called repentance. See, repentance isn't just changing your actions. It's changing what you believe about God. Because as you change what you believe about God, He starts to lead you in faith to live differently in Him. And so when I confess that to God, and I said, I've been lying because I don't believe that you're good, and I don't believe that your opinion of me matters most, and I started to set my mind on who He actually is and go, no, you know what? If you were the one who created me and you knew what was going on in my life before you saved me and yet you still saved me and the Creator of the universe now calls me His Son forever even though I was an orphan before I knew you, who am I? I'm a chosen and beloved child of God. I have the king of the universe who gives me a reputation in Jesus. I have the king's reputation now. And because of that, I don't need to lie and embellish anything. See, that's confession leading to repentance, leading to faith, leading to a new life. See, here's the thing. is only good news for your afterlife. Then you won't experience his freedom in this life. And what Paul wants to make sure that we understand and we're actually trained on how to do is to experience his goodness in this life so that we would see transformation today. So as you set your mind on the things that are above, if you set your heart on those things, even when you don't feel like it, what happens is that you start to see God change you from the inside out. You focus on him. He focuses on changing you. That's the way that it works. And when you set your heart or your mind on Him, your heart follows shortly after. And I just want to say this too. If, if any of this sounds like really good news to you, if any of this sounds like freedom or, and the possibility and the hope of transformation, that's actually God's Spirit in you moving you to experience something you may haven't experienced ever before. That's Him whispering to your heart going, I want you to experience this. I want you to see transformation and change. I want you to be free. And family, I long to see the day when every single person in our church has the ability to do this. To set their hearts on the truth of the Gospel and to see God come in and change them.